With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am Garrett Bahanna, joined once again, as always, with Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rexner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we got a lot to get into after just one week of the season so far. Yeah, it, it's funny. We, we, the Penguins have only played three games, and we've only played a week of NHL hockey. And, Jim, I don't know about you, but to me, this feels like it's been an eternity, and it's only been seven days. It does, at the so same much. time. Yeah, at the same time, it's like it's it's been nothing, but it's been so much has been packed in and in just a short amount of time. that it's And it's gone, you know, some games have gone great, some games have gone terrible. So it's just been the full spectrum of everything you could think of so far. And... Of course, with the one and two record that the Penguins currently have ahead of tonight's game with the Anaheim Ducks, there is some unfortunate injury news to pass along. Uh, some injury news dates back to their last game uh, against the Winnipeg Jets, in which they lost four to one. And Jim, if you want to dive straight into it, looking at their last game against the Jets, I personally I was going into this game with a lot of hope because. Winnipeg's decor was just absolutely destroyed. None, I don't think any of their really main starters they had from last year returned to the blue line against the game uh, against the Penguins in that game. They really, it seems like they dressed uh, six no-namers. And I, I know they have a lot of prospects, and they did play some of those prospects in the blue line. E- even without Evgeny Malkin and Alex Gauchenyuk in that game against the Jets, Jim, I felt confident that the Penguins would win it looked really promising 
in that first minute with Sidney Crosby opening up the scoring. But but after that, I, I, things just went south, and they went south very quickly for the Penguins. It went off the rails for sure. And the the weird thing is the mood of the Penguins players themselves after the game was, was very upbeat. They liked a lot of the chances they were getting. They liked what they did. And some of the numbers back that up, that, that game – I think a couple of differences was Connor Hellbuck had a really great game for the Jets and Matt Murray let in a couple that maybe he'd want back or maybe the Penguins had a couple defensive breakdowns in front of them to lead to those goals. So it was just a couple of plays here or there that broke against the Penguins or broke for the Jets, whatever way you want to look at it, that kind of tipped the balance. But yeah, you look at those defensemen the Jets had, none of them very experienced, none of them having you know all that much of a spot in the lineup before some injuries and some weird things happening for them with Dustin Bufflin, just not wanting to play apparently this year. So they had to step their game up and they did. It didn't look like they were going to, after Sidney Crosby scored so early, you were thinking, Oh wow, this is going to be great. The Penguins are going to do what they did to Columbus to Winnipeg. We'll put up six, seven goals. This will be fun. But then it ended up not being very much fun at all. And after that game, we had learned that, there were more injuries suffered uh, on the Penguins front in addition to Evgeny Malkin and um, and Brian Rust. Alex Galchenyuk went down. He was considered day-to-day yesterday, but at the same time, uh, just a little bit later, Galchenyuk was placed on injured reserve, which uh, led to the recall of forward Adam Johnson from the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins. Uh, another injury, uh, Patrick Hornquist is also considered day-to-day. Jim, looking at these injury statuses, specifically Hornquist and Gauchenyuk, originally it was thought, and it was even posted on Pensburg, that these two forwards were day-to-day. Now Gauchenyuk probably having officially going on IR. Hornquist still labeled as day-to-day. I guess, I guess Hornquist being labeled day-to-day is encouraging. The fact that they have to call up another body from Wilkes-Barre just seven days into the season is... A little scary, I'm not going to lie. I'm not hitting the panic button because it's so early in the season. But having to have all of these bodies up from Wilkes-Barre, let's be honest, a lot of those players who are filling in the roles in the bottom six, your Adam Johnsons, your Sam Lafferty's, your Joseph Blandisi's, you know, they're fringe NHLers. And it just means that it's an increased workload for Sidney Crosby. I'm worried that, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on in the show, I'm worried that the increased workload already, if they're going to double shift Sidney Crosby for the next four to six weeks while um, Brian Rustin and Evgeny Malkin are out, I just feel like this has the potential to be quite detrimental to this team already early on in the season. It's very tough. You look at the Pens, other than Crosby and Jake Gensel, like, think you could say probably their next five best forwards are on the shelf right now with Malkin, Hornquist, Rust, Bukestad, Galchenyuk. I mean, just the, the sheer volume of names and the salaries that those guys all make, it's it's really mind-boggling that we're only one week in in what was probably the team's best strength. They're, they're just depth of forwards and having three or four really good balanced lines that they could run out there is now basically, especially with Galchenyuk and Hornquist going down, it's pretty much just Crosby and Gensel. And then after that, you hope McCann can do something. Maybe Brandon Tanev can do something offensive. But there's not a lot of hope um, 
like you said, it's it's just a bunch of depth guys, a bunch of filler guys, but that can be good. I think you saw Sam Lafferty Tuesday night showcase some speed. He he didn't look out of place. Um, you know, you don't really expect a lot of production out of him, but that's something. Um, hopefully now the Penguins at least go with 12 forwards in, in the lineup. Uh, Wes Crosby on NHL.com reported that Hornquist is out for tonight's game against the Ducks. The I don't think I've seen the team confirm that yet, but it I would kind of err on the side that probably no Hornquist tonight, which is why they're bringing up Adam Johnson. So you can plug Adam Johnson in. They healthy scratched Andrew Agazino, so they'll probably have to play him for to you know replace Hornquist and Galchenyuk, who won't be playing. And that's kind of ironic too. I noticed that Phil Kessel never missed a game in four years, and then he got traded for Galchenyuk, who got hurt after four games. So that's that's just kind of another another little jab in the side of of losing Phil Kessel. Is his durability made him a good option? Um, and hopefully with 12 forwards, the Penguins won't need to to ride Crosby so much. I mean, obviously he's the number one guy. They have no Malkin. They have no Bukestad behind him. So he's going to have to do a lot. He played 22 minutes against the Jets the other night. Uh, Jake Gensel, Gensel played 22-51 as well. So, I mean, I you don't want to play those guys as forwards 22-23 minutes a night. But they don't have much of a choice here because, you know, they don't have a lot else that's really going to create a lot of offense. So if the Pens need a goal, I think they're going to play Crosby and Gensel like as much as they need to to try to get that goal back. But uh, we'll just have to see how the game unfolds. And hopefully if they have a team effort and if they have the lead, then they can roll the lines a little bit more and go from there. And looking at their opponent ahead of tonight's matchup, it is the Anaheim Ducks. And Jim, on paper... Uh, things aren't going to get easier for the Penguins, and no one is certainly going to feel sorry for them, even if these injuries are so early on. Uh, the Ducks come into PPG Paints Arena tonight with a 3-0 record, uh, two early wins against divisional rivals, a 2-1 win to open the season against the Coyotes, followed up by followed up by a 3-1 win against the San Jose Sharks, and a 3-1 victory against the Detroit Red Wings. Jimmy, uh, I know we don't see the Anaheim Ducks a lot. We only see them once, twice, maybe three times uh, in any given year. Uh, but when, when you look at the Anaheim Ducks, it seems like they're, they're going through a bit of a, a transformation. Uh, and it, it seems like they're, it's a bit of a changing of the guard. Uh, but, and it's no longer Ryan Getzloff and, and Corey Perry's team. They, they have a lot of uh, young guys that they're looking to invest uh, a lot of time. They've obviously invested a lot of draft capital into drafting some forwards to replace Getzloff and Perry specifically. However, they're still backed up in net by Pittsburgh native John Gibson. So, Jimmy, looking at this matchup tonight, um, do you foresee any problems, even though obviously the Penguins are dealing with injuries? They're not going to use that as an excuse, but... Do, do you foresee the Ducks giving the Penguins uh, the kind of problems that the Winnipeg Jets did in their last game? I do see problems in the future. You kind of ran down the score. John Gibson has played three games, and he's given up one goal in each and every single one of those games. So scoring on the Ducks this early in the season has been almost impossible. Gibson's carrying a 970 save percentage. One goal a game. It's it's tough to win in the NHL if you're only scoring one goal. And with the Penguins' depleted offense, like we mentioned, and they have to go up against Gibson, who's arguably the most talented pure goalie in the league. He doesn't his team, like you mentioned, they're still building around him. So sometimes they let him down more than anything. But when he's on his game, 
he's really, really good, and, and that doesn't look good. I know the Ducks last year beat the Penguins both times they played with Gibson playing both those games. So it's kind of in, in my head at least that this guy has success against his hometown team. And yeah, the Ducks, the Ducks are young. They have they have some talent as far as I mean, you see now across the league, it's like if a team isn't contending, they just try to get as young as possible. They have certainly a handful of players, 25, 26 years old or younger, that they're trying to break in. They have Troy Terry from Team USA a couple years ago and they're under junior team. Sam Steele is, a, is another high draft pick they have who I think is hurt right now, but he should be in the mix. And any team can beat anyone in the NHL these days, and the Ducks are kind of a sneaky 3-0. and I didn't even realize that until I started doing the research and hearing what you said, but they look good so far. The Penguins don't, so it's it's going to have to be a turnaround type of effort to kind of just wash that out, set the mentality like, hey, we can write our own script this game and go from there and see see how the game breaks down. Flipping the script here, uh, looking past tonight's game against the Ducks, there is more trade chatter coming that, that seems to be trickling out into uh, national media figures. And uh, Jim, I remember on last week's show, we talked about uh, Darren Drager's report uh, that and it, how it would coincide with Josh Yowie's, uh report from The Athletic that Jack Johnson was going to be traded uh, this time around, this is from TSN's Bob McKenzie, very, uh, very reliable insider source in the NHL, who was recently reporting as of yesterday or Tuesday, I believe, that Jim Rutherford is still trying to work the phones to get out of, to get out of the contracts of Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson. And Jim, I, I know we, we've talked about this uh, in our first couple of episodes, but for whatever reason, this trade rumor is not dying. It makes sense because Johnson and Goodbranson, a bottom pairing tandem, you know, making $7 million. Obviously, you look at how the cap is distributed throughout this team, and those are two glaring red flags. But, Jim, what, what do you make of this trade rumor? It is not dying, no matter how much water Jim Rutherford and company want to put on it. It's not dying and it's spreading, like you said, uh, Bob McKenzie was pretty direct about it. Elliot Friedman mentioned it the other day. Darren Dreger's talked about it. So, I mean, it it does go back to like what we said last week. The Penguins have nine healthy defensemen on their roster, and that's just so unusual, especially this part of the year where there's a 23-man roster limit. So um, I have to imagine somehow, some way, they're trying what they can to move a defenseman, especially now with all these forward injuries. They just have too many guys. Too many guys aren't good enough either. So whether it's going to be Johnson, Goodbranson, maybe even Yusu Ricola, because when is Yusu Ricola even going to play? I mean, they have to clear somebody, you would just think, based on numbers. And I know we've basically said that for the past podcast or two, but I don't know how long it, this status can last. And I think it's a good thing that at least the media members are talking about it. So they're obviously hearing a lot of chatter and, I guess maybe the story will break any time now. We've been saying that, but we'll have to see that. Um, I mean, you just have to think the way this is going that the Penguins are going to look to trade somebody sooner or later, and that certainly seems with all these rumors and nuggets floating out, that's where they're putting their efforts is to try to get a deal to move a defenseman. And looking at Jim Rutherford as a general manager in the NHL, you know, he has a very long tenure. Um 
but Jim, he gives he gives off the vibe sometimes, especially when talking to the media, uh, that he seems, maybe for better or worse, he seems very stuck in his ways, very old school, and specifically when mentioning the the most recent trade talk reg- uh, revolving around Jack Johnson and uh, Josh Yowie's article in the Athletic. Uh, he seemed very standoffish when appearing on, I believe it was 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, uh, giving a local radio appearance. And he was very, very quick to take a shot at that story, take a shot and call it um, shoddy journalism. Is his old school mentality, is is the way Jim Rutherford conducts business, does it seem like to you that it, it's finally starting to catch up with him, much like how many people in the Carolina um, Carolina Hurricanes organization and fans included at the end of his tenure there were beginning to say things got stale. He wasn't getting the job done. And so, Jim, do, do you think looking at where Jim Rutherford is now in his Penguins tenure that fans may be starting to turn on him and, you know, the, the, the message from the general manager down is starting to wear out its welcome a little bit? Um, that's an interesting question, an interesting thought. I, I think from the fan perspective, yeah, there's been certainly a lot to be frustrated with over the past two years or so with a lot of his decisions and some of the things that he's done as far as the trades he's made and how he's kind of shaped the team less from speed and skill and more towards size and toughness. And obviously the past two years in the playoffs, they've gone from Stanley Cup champs, the second round exit, to not even winning a playoff game, let alone a round. So that's that's kind of been on the downslope. Um, his attitude to me, I, I, I personally just take it with a grain of salt because he's a guy who's very emotional, which is a good and bad thing. And I think when times are great, you know, he's riding high and and he's going to let it be known that he's in a good mood. But at the same time, on the flip side of things, when you know maybe a message is getting out that he doesn't want out there. He's not going to be as happy or, you know, when when the team isn't responding or doing what he wants, he's going to be, you know, notably mad about it. And I, I think that's fitting here that this team isn't quite where he wants it, obviously, and they're in construction and how they're playing. So I don't think he's happy in that result. And we'll have to see. I mean, in Carolina, they missed the playoffs 10 years in a row. I, I don't anticipate anybody think that's going to happen with Pittsburgh. So. Hopefully that's that doesn't really get to that point, but yeah, you can kind of see a trend where, where then the results go down, the anger levels go up, and then you know we'll have to see how he digs out of this, especially now that they've been dealt a hand with some injuries. Even though it looks like you know, four, five, six weeks, hopefully all these guys are back again, and and maybe they they kick it into gear. But I think for now everybody should just you know, be calm, see what happens, see if these guys can keep it afloat, and hopefully nothing drastic will need to happen. The worst thing I think that could happen um, in regards to this very unfortunate injury situation is Jim Rutherford becomes incredibly reactionary and pulls the trigger on something that could be detrimental to the team in the long haul. And that kind of leads me not to believe, but to to throw out there as a possibility, uh, looking at the desperation on Jim Rutherford's part as general manager, as the the uh, main architect of this team, for better or worse, is it too early to be desperate if you're Jim Rutherford and knowing you're without your number two and number three center for 
at least th- I would say three to five, maybe six weeks. I mean, in that stretch of time, you know, you, you obviously don't want to fall behind too quickly. It's harder to win games. As we know, it's harder to win games in January, February, March than it is now. So Jim, do you foresee that sense of desperation creeping into how Jim Rutherford conducts business over the next couple of weeks if a trade does happen? I hope not, but you could be on to something. He didn't make a move last year, and remember last year the Penguins started pretty bad too. And the first major move he made was trading Carl Hagelin, and he did that on November 14th. So that pretty much gave the team about five weeks to figure out what they had to do. I mean, it's been three games or four games, so it's been, you know, it's been way too, let's pump the brakes. I, I don't think, you know, if he's that desperate and getting very trigger finger itchy, like feeling the need to do something, I think he's he's way out ahead of himself as he should be. I think it's frustration too because he's right up against the salary cap. So anything he does is going to have to be very perfect, very precise about what he can do, who he can ship out, who he can bring in. All the numbers have to match up. So that probably limits what he can do. And I'm sure that's probably frustrating to him as well, thinking, well, I could maybe do this or that, but I can't because we're up against the cap and everything has to make sense with the money. So I think that could be, you know, just kind of a thorn in his side too, which is of his own creation. But so I think that could be another reason why he seems kind of edgy or antsy these days. But hopefully, I mean, you would think that this team needs a month or so to figure out what they can do. We've seen before, I think even at Christmas time last year, the Pens were outside of a playoff spot and they still pretty comfortably slid in there last year, even if they were towards the bottom. So I don't think there's any need to overreact whatsoever right now. As, as early as the season is, you haven't seen what you've wanted to so far, but like you said, you don't want to do anything that could hinder the team and the team still has Crosby and Malkin and Latang, So they're still going to have a chance. You just got to kind of see how it goes, I think, for the first four or five weeks and then go from there. Yeah, it, really a lot hinges on this first month, maybe month and a half of the season. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting now with the hand that the Penguins have been dealt in regards to the injuries that they have sustained early on in the season. But flipping gears, we're going to go into what is becoming a regular here on the Pennsburg podcast. And that is our Twitter mailbag segment. Again, for those who are maybe be tuning in for the first time or or longtime listeners and don't know how to submit questions, you can do just that by first following our official Pennsburg podcast Twitter account that is on Twitter at Pennsburg Pod, at Pennsburg P O D. And uh, whenever we do a mailbag segment, the Twitter account will send out a tweet to all of the podcast Twitter accounts followers, letting no- letting them know that we're asking, we want your participation in this very fun segment for the podcast. It will be retweeted on Pennsburg's main account. Uh, so if you're not following the podcast account, but you are following Pennsburg's main account, you will be able to see when uh, we ask for your participation and we do we do really appreciate all the participation that we've gotten early on in the season regarding this mailbag segment i'm having a ton of fun with it so jimmy i will flip the script to you i'm going to ask you the first question here Stephen whitehouse asks do you think the penguins run the risk of overusing crosby and burning him out too early in the season considering the early injury situation now that he is in the twilight of his career and an additional question is can the call-ups provide support that the penguins will need to fight the injury bug 
Thanks, Stephen, for sending that in. Um, Sidney Crosby just turned 32 years old, so I don't know if I would say he's in the twilight necessarily of his career. Like, he's still in great shape. I think he's still one of the league's very best players by any metric. But I can understand that. Like, you never want to burn a guy out early or run him into the ground playing too much. But at the same time, there's no Evgeny Malkin. There's no Galchenyuk for a while. There's no Hornquist and Rust. I mean, you got to have your best players carry the load. You got to put put a lot on their back because they are the best players. Sidney Crosby is meant to play hockey. He's he's in great shape. He, I mean, whether I don't really think if you play him 20 minutes or 22 minutes in October, it's going to be a big difference in April. I mean, obviously he's not going to play 30 minutes or anything crazy like that. But um, I would I would ride him as hard as possible this time of year, and especially now with all these injuries, because uh, somebody has to score, quite frankly. And if it's not going to be Sid and Jake, I I struggle to see who it's going to be. So if you want to win, I think you got to play him just about as much as you can. All right, our next question comes to us from Eric, and he says, "Is an early season trade of a relatively high profile player in the cards to ensure the Penguins stay in the race earlier on through injuries?" while not putting everything on Crosby's back, even though we know his legs can take it. High-profile player, uh, in terms of, uh, like, who are we talking about? Uh, Galchenyuk or Gensel or uh, a, a Dumoulin or you know someone along those lines? No, I, I don't see it happening. I don't think Jim Rutherford, with the way he operates, I don't think he wants to really mess with the stars, the core of this team. I think he knows what he has in Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Gensel when they're all healthy. And if there is a trade that's going to be made, like we were talking in the last segment regarding Johnson and Goodbranson, Jim, you kind of alluded to it in your response. And from what I've read from uh, league sources uh, across the internet is if a, if a trade is going to happen, it's very likely going to be um, a large cap, uh, a large amount of salary cap going out for a large amount of salary cap coming in. You know, no one's really going to want to take Eric Branson and or Jack Johnson probably for a couple of draft picks. The, the, the other team in the trade is probably going to want to dish out uh, another large contract. So, uh, no, I, I don't really foresee uh, a, a quality, maybe not a superstar player or a high-level player, uh, early on being traded to shake up the roster or to alleviate some of the pressure from Sidney Crosby early on. Uh, our final question comes from who is becoming a staple here. Sammy Bagel Jr. is back for the third week in a row. And his question is, the Penguins are keeping so many defensemen on for no real apparent reason. Are they hoping for a trade or will this just be really detrimental to John Marino and Ricola's uh, development or training? Thanks for sending it in, Sammy. Um, like we we kind of touched on this earlier in the pod. I don't think this will be that detrimental to or excuse me. We touched on the pod that yeah, I do think that they're looking to make a trade for sure, and it's just a matter of like switching around who they might send out. And to Garrett's earlier point, what kind of contract they'll take in. Uh, like maybe with Jack Johnson, it's a really bad contract that they'll have to take in, so they're kind of weighing what to do with him and and dragging their feet a little bit. As far as um, the development time goes, I mean, Wilkes-Barre has only played one game so far this season, so John Reno really isn't missing too much to be up in Pittsburgh. And if 
I do agree with you that they need to use him. You know, if if he's going to be on the NHL roster, there's no real sense of him sitting for weeks at a time. But I think, as you saw with the seven defensemen last game, that they got him in, and they do want to see what they have with him. And he he acquitted himself well. I I would hope that tonight versus the Ducks, they kind of take the training wheels off for him and put Marino in as one of their six. I know they've kind of been hesitant to scratch either Jack Johnson or Goodbranson, but I mean the bottom line is that you never know what you're going to get really out of out of those two veterans as far as if they're going to have a good night or a not so good night. And at least with Marino, he's a young player that that has the opportunity to maybe grow a little bit and who could have a future with you where those other guys probably don't. So that is uh I think how I would approach that one. I wouldn't put too much stock into the development of John Marino or Yuso Rikula just yet. Like you were saying, um, they're probably getting some pra- some practice in uh, at the UPMC Sports Complex or at PPG before games. But yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, assumingly um, that either Jack Johnson or Erica Branson will be traded. And if that's the case, uh, John Marino or Yuso Rikula could very well find their way into the bottom pairing role for the Pittsburgh Penguins moving forward. But uh, Jim, I, I think that's about it for this episode of the Pennsburg podcast. Do you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here? That sums it up. Thanks everybody for joining us. Be sure to follow us on the socials and send us in a question next week. We'd love to touch on it. Absolutely. I echo everything that Jim said. Again, you can follow us uh, at Pennsburg pod uh, at Pennsburg on Twitter, uh, Get new episodes of the Pensburg podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I believe we are on iTunes, Spotify, and uh, Google Play, the three main podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcast, We greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come listen to us talk some Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. Uh, but for Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpic, I have been Garrick Behanna. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of the Pensburg podcast.